Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the, so- or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let me start by asking you all a question. Help me out a little bit here. What is the definition of insanity? Right? Doing the same thing repeatedly and what? Very good. Doing the same thing repeatedly. Both services nailed that, by the way. Well done. A++ on the day for you. Doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result. And, and I think uh, that all of us no matter where we are in our lives, to one degree or another, live our spiritual lives in this way. If we're followers of Jesus, we say we want uh, the life Jesus promises us in his word. It's not a life that's free of hardship, but it is a life that offers rest. It's a life that offers peace and, and joy. We want, we say, right, to be filled with the spirit, but we so often don't want to change our habits. We don't want to change our practices so that we can enjoy that life. We we live insanely when it comes to following Jesus all too frequently. The metaphor we've used since the beginning of this year is our desire to float, to float in the river of God's love rather than to thrash around in the water and find ourselves sinking. The way we saw last week we float in the river is by learning to trust God by believing in the gospel, and as we believe the gospel, the presence of God is filtered into our lives through observing these practices. And so this year, we're intentionally and intensely beginning the year by focusing on the power of habit, on on forming our lives to be in the presence of God so that we can experience gospel life. And last week we began, we talked about what I called the keystone habit, remember, of prayer. If you weren't here, a keystone habit, because I'm sure if you're here, you remember everything I said. 
a keystone habit is um, a habit that flows out into all areas of life. So crying out to God fervently in prayer, believing that God loves us and that God hears us when we pray to him is the most important of those keystone habits. It's the most important way that the gospel of grace is, is filtered into our lives. Now, the second habit we want to think about is Sabbath. Sabbath, and that's what we're going to look at today. Sabbath is an almost forgotten spiritual discipline in our busy and frantic world. Listen to what Pastor A.J. Swoboda writes. He says, the Sabbath has been largely forgotten by the Christian church. It isn't that we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. Do you practice Sabbath? Do you know how to stop, how to rest, how to direct an entire day even toward worshiping God and delighting in God? My guess is that most of us have no idea how to do that. Think about it like this. Keeping the Sabbath is the only spiritual discipline listed in the Ten Commandments. Uh, There's not anything in there about scripture. There's not anything in there about prayer. Not to say those things are unimportant, but the only one that made the cut of the top 10 is Sabbath. And furthermore, if the the Ten Commandments are like a a piece of pie or an entire pie, 30% of the pie is the Sabbath. It makes up more of the space of the Ten Commandments than any of the other commandments. So it must be important to God to keep the Sabbath is to live in accord with the pattern with which we were created. God made us to rest one day and work six. The Sabbath, as Eugene Peterson says, is the anchor discipline of the Christian life. Did you hear that? The Sabbath is the anchor discipline of the Christian life. So I want to think about this habit with you today and and encourage us to devote ourselves to it. So let's look at three things. The purpose of the Sabbath, the subversiveness. I'm not sure that's a word. I think it's a word but I made it up. The subversiveness, if it's not a word, I made it up, of the Sabbath and the practice of Sabbath. So first, look at the Exodus 20 passage, the the purpose of Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Beth read for us, but it's worth reading again. Exodus 20, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days, why should you do this? Because in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. What is the Sabbath? The word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew verb, Shabbat, which means to stop. It can also be translated to delight or to rest. So the purpose... The purpose of the Sabbath is to stop, to take a day and stop, to stop working, to stop running errands, to stop laboring, to stop the rat race, to just stop. Why? Why are we supposed to do this? Why is it enshrined in the Ten Commandments? Well, God tells us there in Exodus 20. It's because this is the pattern God himself has hardwired into creation. That's what verse 11 means. God rested on the seventh day. Now, God obviously didn't rest because God was tired. God does not get tired. 
So why did God rest? God rested to pattern for us the way he wants us to live, the way our lives are intended to be run. Creation has a tempo. It has a syncopated beat to it. And so for any of us to fight against the Sabbath, for any of us to ignore the tempo that God has hardwired into our lives and into this world is to to fight against the way we're made, for us to not stop, for us to not rest, is to go against the grain of creation. It's to fight against what our spirits most often need. It's draining, the scriptures tell us. And it is exhausting to go 24-7. And that's why God tells us to go 24-6. Listen to uh, this story, not really a story. I read about a book called The Blue Zones, The Blue Zones by a man named Dan Bettner. And he's a sociologist who did this massive research project looking into groups around the world who lived longer and healthier lives. And he's asking the question, why do these particular people groups live longer than average people groups? And the groups he identified live on average 12 years longer than the rest of the population. And in the United States, the main community that met his criteria is located in Loma Linda, California. Does anyone know what's headquartered there? Yes. Man, best church member in the church right there. Uh, The Seventh-day Adventists are headquartered in Loma Linda. They are Sabbath keepers, parentheses. We're not getting into the debate about whether it should be Saturday or Sunday. Email one of the elders that's not named me, and they'll answer that question for you this week, I'm sure. The point is... The Loma Linda, California, Seventh-day Adventists, on average, live 12 years longer than the rest of Americans. And so here's what Bettner does in the book. He says, if you multiply the number of Sabbaths they observe per year by their average lifespan, and then divide that number by 365, you end up with, guess what, 12 years. So for you non-math majors, which is me, uh, the number of extra years they live is roughly equivalent to the number of days they spend in Sabbath. The point is, as author Matthew Sleeth puts it, living 24-7 is draining. Living 24-6 is life-giving. God calls us to stop and to rest one day in seven because that's the way he has engineered this world and our lives to work. So if we are to do that, what are we supposed to do on that day? Look at Exodus 20 again. The text gives us the answer here. Our Sabbaths are to be filtered through a grid of two things. We're to rest and we're to worship. Look at what God says. Verse 10, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. You shall stop. You shall rest. And then same verse, the seventh day is a Sabbath unto or for The Lord, that is, it's to be consecrated to God. It's to be oriented and directed towards him. It's to involve worship. In other words, this entire day is to be a day of rest and a day of worship. It's intentionally and specifically unto the Lord. We take time off and delight in God one day out of seven. Now, listen, I know if you've been around church for a while, you're likely familiar with all the debates historically that have gone on among theologians and Bible teachers about, is the Sabbath still operative? Do we still have to keep it in the new covenant? By the way, the answer to that, I think, is yes. There's not just nine commandments in the new covenant. There's still 10. 
We need to keep the Sabbath. And what can and can't we do? And it gets super granular. You see this even in Jesus' day when the Pharisees had made such crazy legalistic uh, efforts to make sure that people were keeping the Sabbath. And I'm sure that some of us are familiar with those debates. And whether you're familiar or not with those debates, here's what I want you to hear. Uh, That's largely an exercise in missing the point. The point is this. The Sabbath is intended to be freeing. Do you notice how broad that command is? Rest. Worship. Do you notice how non-legalistic that command is? It's a broad category. And so if you're new to this idea, if you're new to Sabbath, here's a practical question to ask yourself about that day. What could I do for 24 hours that would fill my life and my soul with a deep, throbbing joy? What could I do that would fill my soul with joy? And however you answer that, as long as it's not sin, (laughs) is what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. All your activity on that day should be run through the rest and worship grid. So when you're doing something, ask yourself, is this restful for me? And is this worship for me? And if the answer is, eh, kind of, or eh, probably not, or I'm not sure, then you should not do it. You should stop. Because the scriptures tell us that there are six other days for that. Don't be in a hurry, the Sabbath says. Slow down. Breathe and rest with Jesus. Now, most of you don't think it's that important to keep the Sabbath because if you did, you would do it. Most of you, in fact, some of you might at this point be thinking, Luke, you have lost the rest of what few marbles you had remaining. Who in the world takes an entire day and just sets everything aside and, you know, worships and rests? No one can do that. That's completely unrealistic and unreasonable. I know some of you are thinking that. Don't admit it out loud right now, but you can tell me later that you were thinking this. And and if you're thinking that, or if you are struggling with this idea, I, I just want you to hear this. Our culture is so ingrained. Our culture is so ingrained in constant work and busyness and fast pace that we haven't even stopped to consider, most of us, what resting for a full 24 hours every week would do for us. The reason you think I sound crazy is because you're swimming with the stream of culture and not against the stream of culture. And this particular tide, this particular current is very strong. Listen to spiritual director Ronald Rollheiser. Here's what he writes. Today, A number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I love that quote. What does that look like? Rollheiser continues, quote, It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we're habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We're more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I I love that phrase, pathological busyness. 
Are you pathologically busy? How often when someone asks you, maybe even here on Sunday mornings, hey, how was your week? You say, it was fine, but man, I'm busy. That's just like the normal answer we give. How you doing, man? Dude, super busy. It was a, it was a crazy week. Here's the truth. For so many of us, we're not in danger, really, of abdicating the faith, of leaving Jesus. I think our danger, rather, is that we're going to become so distracted or rushed or preoccupied that we'll settle for just a mediocre at best version of life with Jesus. We'll just skim our spiritual life instead of actually living our spiritual life. So how do we really live the spiritual life and not just skim it? God knows what he's talking about, it turns out. When he says, remember the Sabbath, he's inviting us to cultivate a habit. A habit of stopping and resting and worshiping for an entire day once per week. And the scriptures tell us that that without that, we're going against the grain of creation. We're going against the grain of our own souls. The purpose of habit or excuse me, the purpose of Sabbath is for you to flourish and you flourish by doing what God asks because God made you and knows you. Stop. Delight. Rest and worship. Let me show you the subversiveness of Sabbath. Second, if you go to your Bibles, you can turn to that Deuteronomy 5 chapter. As Beth read, you might have noticed that it's virtually the exact same as the Exodus reading. This is the Deuteronomic version of the Ten Commandments. There are some significant alterations, however, that I think are instructive for us. The context in Deuteronomy is different than the context in Exodus. In Deuteronomy, the people have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're right on the border of entering Canaan, the promised land, and Moses is preparing these people. He's preparing these people for what life among the nations is going to be like. How can you follow the Lord? How can you follow Yahweh, he's saying, in a world full of false worship, and in a world full of false idols. And so with that in mind, look at the differences. They're minor, but they're important in this verse. In Exodus, God says, remember the Sabbath. What does he say in Deuteronomy? Observe. Observe the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, remember the context. I think what that means is that the people of God are to organize their lives to be sure that they do this once a week. They're being asked here to cultivate this habit. Why? Because everything in the world they're entering is going to press them not to observe this, but to go 24-7 instead. And listen, our life is the exact same now. There is nothing in our world that helps us take one day and stop. In fact, Everything in our culture is pressing us to go 24-7 all the time. And if it's not actual physical work or your jobs, it's the craziness of social media, of what's happening in the world. But everything is conspiring to have our brains on overdrive and our hearts on warp speed constantly. It's the same for us now as it was for Israel. If we're going to live amongst the nations, we must observe practice the Sabbath, or we're going to get lost spiritually. That's the first difference. The second difference from Deuteronomy to Exodus is, I think, even more significant. Look at verse 15. Remember in Exodus, God said, observe the Sabbath because this is the way the Lord has wired creation, right? But look at what he says here. 
We're called to observe the Sabbath, but the reason for the command is completely different. Instead of falling into the flow of creation's pattern, which is what we saw in Exodus, here we read, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with an almighty and an outstretched arm. So this generation that Moses is speaking to in Deuteronomy, think about it. They're the first generation in 400 years that did not grow up as slaves. The first generation in 400 years that did not grow up piling brick upon brick and stone upon stone in Egypt for zero money. And Moses says to them, remember where you have come from. Remember that you have been rescued. You've been redeemed out of bondage, out of slavery. How do you remember that? You remember it by keeping the Sabbath, by making this day holy. I think that's important for us because again, like ancient Israel, we keep Sabbath because it helps us remember we're no longer slaves. It helps us remember that Jesus in his life, death, burial, and resurrection has freed us from our bondage to the false gods of this world. He has set us free to live a life of liberty a life of freedom, a life of purpose, and a life of hope because the world wants to enslave you. It wants to enslave you to shame and to guilt and to a multitude of lies. You can probably think of some of the lies the world wants to enslave you to. I think of one particular one this week. One of the lies that the world is telling us all the time, one of the great slave masters of our world is the lie that we need more and more and more, the God of accumulation and his twin brother or sister, the God of accomplishment, are alive and well in the United States. I, I saw a stat this week that um, the average American sees an average of 4,000 advertisements per day. 4,000. Uh, another stat that struck me this week is that there is enough storage unit space. By the way, you drive around town and you see something b being built, you can just assume it's a new storage unit, right? They're everywhere. It's like every intersection, there's a storage unit. There's enough storage unit space in Texas alone for every American to have seven feet, seven square feet. We're literally building the storehouses of Egypt and calling them 24 seven storage spaces. We live in a culture of more don't we? A, a culture of lusting for the next greatest thing. We, we want more food. We need more drink, more clothes, more devices, more apps, more square footage, more trips, more experiences, more, more, more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. So what does that have to do with the Sabbath? The Sabbath subverts that by reminding us that Jesus is enough. When we stop and rest and worship and delight, we remember that we're no longer slaves to this and Jesus is better. It, it helps us stop and remember the cross and the empty grave. And that's part of the reason why God worked Sabbath into our lives. It's formative for our faith in the gospel. That's why the Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, calls the Sabbath an act of resistance. 
an act of resistance. You were resisting when you're practicing Sabbath the cultural mores and idols that so easily capture us. When you're practicing Sabbath, you're training your heart and forming your desire around what's most important and most valuable, the the kingdom of God. Sabbath is a way of saying, I refuse to fall into the trap of being defined by what I have or what I do. I refuse to bow down to the God of accomplishment and to the God of accumulation. Sabbath is a way of saying, I have enough. Like David says in the Psalms, with you, I lack nothing. Sabbath is a way of saying, I'm grateful, God. I'm content. That's why in the Old Testament, when the law is given to Israel, one of the laws in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers is that on the Sabbath day, there's to be no buying or selling. That's not some legalistic enshrinement, although the Pharisees later did make that legalistic. The reason that's in the law is to remind the people of God to have a life-giving pattern of breaking free from the gods of accumulation and accomplishment. Sabbath helps us draw a line in the sand of our lives and say, I'm okay, I'm good. I don't need another pair of shoes. I don't need another car. I don't need another toy. I don't need another video game. It's a subversive lifestyle. How many of you are wondering, if you're a Christian, how many of you are regularly wondering why you don't see more growth in your life, why you don't experience more depth with Jesus, more victory as a Christian, I think part of it is because we have not built these subversive practices into our daily lives. And listen, you are not in neutral. You are not in neutral as a Christian. You are either going with the flow of culture or you're resisting and subverting it by forming habits around the way of Jesus. We're living as insane people. We're living as insane people, saying we're going to change, saying we're going to be different, saying we're going to grow, but practicing the exact same habits and living the exact same way. But what does Jesus do? What does he do in Matthew? He invites us into a life of rest. He invites us to rest in him. And and he tells us, my yoke is, is easy and my burden is light. Now, that is a striking metaphor because the yoke is not the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of rest. You would expect Jesus to say, my pillow is easy. My down comforter is light. But he doesn't. He uses the language and the image of work, a yoke that you put on an oxen to drive the plow. Why? Jesus is saying the way to get rest is to really, in an act of rebellion against the lies of this world, enjoy him and delight in him and rest in him by living the way he asks us to live in the gospel. Who practices Sabbath more than anyone else in the Bible? Jesus. In fact, if you look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, we read it. Go to Matthew 12, 1. Very next verse, we find Jesus on the Sabbath living a life before the face of God. Who prays more than anyone in the Bible? Jesus. Listen, if Jesus needed to stop and rest, you need to stop and rest. If Jesus needed to cry out to God in prayer, you need to cry out to God in prayer. If you want to learn to float on the river of God's love, if you want to enjoy God, if you want to enjoy God, doesn't it make sense to practice what he asks us to do, not to earn his righteousness because we already have his righteousness by grace, 
but to live in light of what he's done for us in the gospel. Doesn't it make sense to keep the Sabbath? Well, let me invite you into beginning to form that habit in your lives. Let me challenge you to consider how that might look in your own life now. So how do you begin? Let's wrap up quickly with the practice of Sabbath. And here's a good maxim to start with. Practice. Practice, not perfection. Our doctors practice medicine. That's because there's always something to learn. You're never a perfect doctor. I practice preaching because you can always improve. Kevin practices the keys. He's pretty good, but he, even Kevin can get better at the keyboard. We practice the Christian life, living in the abundance of God's grace. Don't expect perfection if you haven't been keeping the Sabbath. If you never stop or slow down, tomorrow you're not going to be able to do 24-hour Sabbath and delight and rest and enjoy God. Just like tomorrow, you're not going to be able to go out into the desert and spend four days in prayer. No, you start slow and build spiritual habits so that the runner's high eventually is something you can experience. So I want to encourage you to begin practicing Sabbath. Just like last week, we talked about practicing prayer. So our community group questions are going to talk about that. So community group leaders, do not skip the questions on Sabbath. And if you go to a community group, make sure you're there for the discussion on Sabbath. So what are the training wheels for Sabbath keeping? How can we begin to implement these habits in our lives? Now remember the grid, rest and worship. A couple things. First, find a day. Find a day. Now, now, let me say, for most of you, it should be Sunday. For most of you, it should be Sunday. That's ideal. That's the pattern of the scripture. That should be the default. Some of you, I know, like me, have to work on Sundays. And so you need to find a different time. Uh, and if you can't start with an entire day, practice, not perfection. Start with an afternoon. Start with the morning, start with four to six hours, and then try to frame your life to where you can do 12 hours, and then try to frame your life where you can perhaps, with your family, do a full day. A great practice that I would recommend, just very practically to begin Sabbath keeping, to begin learning to rest, is to start on sundown, Saturday evening or Saturday afternoon, late in the day, maybe begin with like some sort of fun ritual that your family observes together. I'll tell you what our family does. We don't do this perfectly. We don't do it every week. But when we're faithfully practicing Sabbath, we start last night about four o'clock. We got all our work done. We'd run our errands. We were ready to enter into the Sabbath. So I said, let's go get, everybody grab your favorite drink. What's a fun drink? So um, I had a, my favorite drink. I'm not going to tell you what that was. My favorite drink. And Marianne had her favorite, you know, drink. And, and the kids had a Fanta and a Dr. Pepper. We all had our drinks. And we read from Psalm 92. And we prayed. We drank, toasted the Sabbath and entered into it. And, and then we were like, what do we, let's rest. Let's, what is fun for us? Well, let's do that. What, what, is it gonna, what does it mean for us to delight in God and in one another? Let's do that. And, you know, I still, I don't have a 24-hour Sabbath. I still need to figure that out because I wake up this morning and I go to work. And so for you, think about what, what is the time in which we can perhaps practice this? I think Sundays are best because it's the time where you can worship together with God's people. You know, the Exodus narrative and the entire history of the story of God point to the union of the day of assembled worship and the Sabbath. So it's important, I think, to make every effort to attend worship. It should take priority in your life over soccer games and over shopping and over sleeping in. Third thing, plan for the Sabbath. 
Remember that the Jewish people still to this day, Orthodox Jews, Orthodox Jews have what they call the day of preparation. So the Jewish Sabbath is still on Saturday. The day of preparation is Friday where they run their errands and they answer their email and they do all the things they need to do and they grocery shop so that on Saturday they, they can rest. So I know you type A moms are starting to think about this. How am I going to do this? That's good. You've got to plan for this. You've got to think about this. You've got to frame the, the six days so that the seventh day can be restful. And when the seventh day is restful, it turns out the other six days are impacted by that as well. Two more things, okay? I can't command this of you because it's not in the Bible, although I, I'm very close. Uh, I can strongly encourage you, though, turn off all your phones and devices. I'm terrible at this, first to admit. I don't mean just mute them. Turn them off for an hour and maybe put them away. Put them in a drawer or under your bed. Is there, anything, is there anything more subversive in our culture than just ridding ourselves of these evil devices for an hour and resting and delighting and, you know, maybe spending time with human beings? That's something I'd encourage you to do. And the last thing, rest and delight. When you go home, ask your family. Ask your, your roommate, ask your husband or your wife, what would be a great restful day for us? What would be a great restful day for us? Let's begin to build that into our schedule. Let's begin to build that into our schedule so that, A, we're actually obeying the Lord Jesus Christ who commands us to do this, and B, we're learning to enjoy God and all of his grace to us on a day of worship and rest and delight. Can we do that? together? Can we subvert the narrative of our world that tells us that we always have to be going, that we're essential to what's happening in the world, and that if we stop, everything's going to collapse around us? It's not true. It's a lie. So let's stop. Let's breathe. Let's rest. Let me close with this image. Imagine, uh, imagine your soul has a power bar, you know, like the power bar on the top of your phone's and when your soul's fully charged, it, you know, the bar is at 100%. And 100% is what Jesus calls the abundant life. Okay? 0% is suicide. And everything in between. Okay? Most of us don't ever charge. Don't ever charge our phones. Well, excuse me, our souls. Maybe our phones too. Our souls until we're at like 25%. And then we don't charge for very long. And we never get above, you know, 40 to 50% uh, unless we're just insolvent. We don't rest long at all. So we just get back to like management mode. And what we miss out on when we're living that way is life to the full and, and joyful, happy, grateful living. A sense of peace and calm because all the good stuff comes when you're at like 90%. And if you're resting regularly refilling your soul by doing what God has asked us to do and living the way God has made us, you'll begin to experience the joy of God's grace and love for you in fresh ways. Jesus is much more glorified in our lives when we're rested and enjoying his love and peaceful than when we're cranky and irritable and exhausted. So, so what would it look like if we all began keeping Sabbath regularly? Can you imagine what that might look like? We would be more joyful, wouldn't we? We'd be more restful. We'd be more fervent. We'd be stronger and healthier as a people. We'd be more aware of what God's doing in the world. 
would be more full of faith and trust, would be more ready to repent and confess. So can you envision that with me? I want to invite you in to beginning to form a habit of Sabbath to the glory of God and for our own good, because without it, we're just going to go crazy. So let's do it together. Let's pray.